So our last conference, really wanted to indicate like where do we go forward? You know, a lot of the way that the spirits moved on the retreat has been to focus more deeply on healing, more deeply on that restoration of identity. as daughters of the Father. That that restoration of identity happens as we experience our Lord's mercy. And so the question is like, how does that manifest itself going forward? And As I made reference to that anthropological order, that idea that we're, you know, we learn to love first as sons and daughters, then as husbands and wives, then as mothers and fathers, you know, that motherhood is kind of the active way of loving in a feminine way. Daughterhood is that receptive way of loving in a feminine way. Like, where is our Lord calling you or inviting you to motherhood, both natural motherhood and spiritual motherhood? And John Paul II wrote often about spiritual maternity and paternity, especially when we reflect on the Holy Family, when we reflect on the Blessed Virgin Mary's role in our lives, the role of St. Joseph in the life of Jesus and in the life of the Church. And that kind of spiritual maternity is something that's invaluable in the life of the church. So some of you still have natural maternity going on at home, and it's like, whoa, this is enough to handle father right now. But some of you, you know, you are in a position of, okay, like, how do I express motherhood when my children are gone? And, you know, when I do engaged encounters, I often talk about, how, like, on a wedding day, a couple is asked by the priest, will you accept children lovingly from God and bring them up according to the law of Christ and his church? And that question of accepting children lovingly from God, it extends beyond the children that God gives us naturally. You know, it extends to the children that just sort of show up in our lives. And they can show up in the form of, you know, a teenager in a youth group. Like, it can show up in the form of another wife who just needs, like, a mentor. It can show up in the form of a young mother who's struggling with her, like, eight kids. And the small ways that that's expressed can have, like, great fruitfulness when we're open to it and when we recognize it. So the premise is that the more open we are to God's grace and the more our, our Lord's grace has acted in our life as we experience him as our father, the fruitfulness of that is that we become more aware of the people that he starts sending to us for help. And a couple of ways that that's touched myself very personally um, one involved my brother who 
you know, I, I've shared that, you know, my identity within my family was like, I'm the one who has to take care of everybody else and their needs are more important than my needs. And when I was a seminarian, I was constantly struggling with this guilt that I had left home and left them alone when my parents got divorced. And so by the time I was in the seminary, um, my brother got to be about 15. He had been struggling with drugs and alcohol since he was about 12. And I was actually struggling in my vocation at the time. I wasn't sure if I was really going to stay in Nebraska or not. And that pull towards helping my family was really active in me. And I'd gone to Father Mattia and asked his permission to, like, check out go transferring to a diocese in Michigan where I grew up so I could be closer to my family. And, uh, and he was fairly open to that. Well, he was reluctantly open to that, you know. And... So I had gone home and checked things out, and I was looking for a job for the summer. I was going to spend the summer in Michigan. Jobs weren't really showing. They weren't really working out for me. And then on Mother's Day, because our Lord works with dates in my life, on Mother's Day, my mom calls me and says that my brother just got arrested for, like, stealing beer or something like that with a group of people. And he was going to have to go to juvenile court, and she didn't know what to do with him. And, uh, and I just said, hang on, let me make a phone call. So I called Father Mattia, and I asked him if my brother could move here for the summer. You know, his response was sort of, so uh, if I let him move here and live with you, you'll stay? Uh, yes, I'll stay here for the summer, and we'll see what happens. And so, so I go home, and I go to this ju juvenile court thing and um, have my brother ordered into my custody for the summer. And he still had to do community service and some other things. And so he moved here, and he lived with me and three seminarians. Um, probably, like, I don't know, he probably smoked his last joint, like, in the morning and then got in my car and moved to Nebraska. Um, I'm not sure about that. That's just kind of, like, my experience of it. <laughs> So we're driving out, and I'm making him listen to Tolkien books in the car and pray the rosary and all kinds of things. And he's just like, what's going on? He had to go to daily mass every day because that's what we did. And he worked here at the retreat house to make money. He did his community service hours at the Newman Center. He was just surrounded by, like, seminarians all the time. And slowly he started to have this curiosity that awakened in him and he started asking questions about getting confirmed and things like that. He ended up taking confirmation classes at the Newman Center. And, um, and so father comes to me and he says, so what's going to happen to him when he goes home? Like he can't go home. He's doing really well. You know, we have to do something. So we have this big meeting with lots of people who are interested in helping and, and decided to try to find a family that he could live with while he was here. Right, which isn't a great sell, right? Like, uh, do you want to take this 15-year-old with a history of drug and alcohol use and have him live in your house with your little kids? Uh, and, um, 
And so we had a meeting with somebody, and um, there was a family who had done something similar before, and we were on our way to this meeting, and I was at the corner of A and Normal Boulevard. You know, it's kind of a weird light. And uh, I ended up going when it wasn't green, and I hit a car, and we got in an accident. Not a big one, but a small one. And um, so we were late to that person's house. The next day they say, well, we can't really take him in now. And and I had to rearrange my schedule that day because I was calling insurance companies, and I was actually driving a friend's car, and um, it was a mess. And we go to noon masses, St. Mary's, and... And there was a family that I had had in mind that my brother should live with. And, and I can't explain it other than it was just an inspiration that I'd had. They were a family I knew from the Sarah Club. And, uh, and they'd actually had a son who had died who was my brother's age. And kind of jumping backwards in the story, when I moved to Nebraska in 1999, I worked at the, seminary, at the cemetery and I just noticed this gravestone with this kid's picture. And I started like, you know... And I said, well, you're probably in heaven because you were like 12 when you died. And so I doubt a lot of people pray to you. And uh, so if you have some extra time, you should help my brother. End of prayer. Two years later, my brother moves to Nebraska, all of this. And so it was this family that I had in mind. But it seemed weird. But when we went to Mass at St. Mary's on this day after the car accident, the dad of that family was two pews in front of us. And so I just lean over to Kevin, my brother, and I was like, uh, don't go anywhere because I want to introduce you to somebody. And we introduced after Mass. Um, and then they went off, and I called Father Mattia, and I said, I really think I'm supposed to ask the Ron family about this. And he was like, oh, that's great. So he calls them up and you know, tells them the story, and they say, oh, we'll help Sean with anything. Well, you probably should know the whole story. So I go to their house. I've never really talked to them before. You know, Teresa's in the kitchen with Joe, who's about two years old at the time, making cookies. And I've never talked to them before, and I just show up and introducing myself and telling them this story. And at the end of the night, I was going on retreat, and I just said, uh, I don't really want to tell you. I think God wants you to take my brother in. Um, and then Chris looks at me, and he goes, you kind of think he does, though, don't you? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we might too. Let us just like pray about this. So I went on retreat, came off of retreat, picked up Kevin, who was staying with another friend, and he was like, I made my decision. I'm going back to Michigan. Ugh. You ever have that, like when you just watch somebody train wrecking their life and you don't know what to do about it, but they're sure they're doing the right thing? So I said, let's pray the rosary, thanking the Blessed Mother for helping you make your decision. So that's what we did. And then that night, we had dinner with the Rons. They met my brother at dinner. Uh, he goes off with some of my friends. They come up to me and say, we really want to help him. Uh, he made his decision to go home. So he goes out with my friends. I go somewhere else. I'm totally bummed out, stressed, carrying all this. And we end up back at my house. And it was like me and my brother and Father Jarofsky and Father Holdren and they're just sitting there talking to him. And at about 1 in the morning, he says, okay, I'm staying here. I, may, I, I changed my mind. I'm staying here. And I basically just said, well, you have to explain that to your mom. And, uh, and so I went to the cathedral. I walked up there. We were living at 
a house on 37th and South and, uh, and just thanked our Lord. The next day, called the Rons. They said that they had something to do that day, but we went over that night. Basically, he tells his story, which is like, parents divorced when I was seven. I started doing drugs and alcohol when I was about nine. Uh, then I moved to Nebraska. And they said, do you want to see your room? And so he ended up living with them for two years uh, at Pius. He ended up doing summer school to catch up so he could graduate on time. Um, graduated on time. They helped him to have emancipation status so that he could get a lot of financial aid. Um, went to Benedictine, met a girl, married her, went to Institute for Psychological Sciences for graduate school, and now he's like a doctor-level psychologist in Des Moines, Iowa. Every one of his friends that he grew up with are in jail or they're dead. Because this family was willing to accept children lovingly from God and bring them up according to the law of Christ in his church. You know, and there's like this way God was working and all that too, because you know, the kid I'd prayed to at the seminary or at the cemetery was, you know, their son. And the day that Kevin made his decision to stay was Nathan's birthday. You know, which is really weird in the best way possible. You know, another example of spiritual motherhood is like I told you about Mary Mom and how like she had been this woman who took care of me when I was a child. But when I was in counseling and I was talking to her, one day she says to me passively, you always said your prayers. And I was like, huh. Because I always remember saying my night prayers growing up. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. God bless my mom in heaven. God bless Johnny and Jamie. God bless, God bless, God bless all these family members. And I remember also being aware that none of my siblings did that that none of them prayed their night prayers every day. And so it turns out if I go to Mary Mom's grandchildren and I ask them how they learn their night prayers, they say, now I lay me down to sleep, blah, 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 God bless, God bless, God bless. It was their tradition that I carried with me and I continued to pray that way until I was about 15 or 16 years old and I started to kind of like make my own version of my night prayers. And because of that, I was always aware that I had a mother in heaven. I had this devotional life built into my life as I went to bed every night. Eventually, that led to me kind of considering becoming a priest. All from this one family that was a part of my life for about two years. Because they were open to accepting children lovingly from God and bringing them up according to the law of Christ in his church. And when I tell this story, people will always ask, were they Catholic? I'm like, yeah, they were Catholic. They're not like super Catholic. <laughs> like, I think they go to mass sometimes now. They just loved me. Right? They just loved me. And there was an experience of love that they had received that they were making fruitful in the way that they were available to me when I showed up in their lives. 
And that's something that our Lord like activates just in our life and in our ministry and the ministry that we do. You know, like all priests are called to spiritual fatherhood. My experience of spiritual fatherhood is like super magnified. Because our Lord really does just like send me, like as soon as I have like more time on my plate, like five people call me. And I start working with these couples and then they, and then I introduce them to each other and they become friends. And then I get to go over to this family's house and they're all like recovering couples. And there's all these little kids running around playing with each other and they have no idea why they know each other. And I kind of sit back and I'm like, wow, those kids wouldn't even be friends if I wasn't the porn priest. You know, which is kind of a funny way of saying it, but there's truth in that. You know, or another person that I've worked with that's kind of gone through this like conversion from feminism and like struggles with identifying with motherhood, and and uh, then she finally got like open to having another child, and they're pregnant right now. And like, I'm not taking full credit. But there's a reality that, like, if I hadn't entered into their life, they wouldn't have been open to having more children. And now there's this little person running around in the world who might not have existed if I wasn't available to walk with them. You know, and that's how, you know, as a priest, I can experience fatherhood. But it's only possible because I have come to know who I am as a son first. Because if I hadn't allowed our Lord to heal my heart, there's no way I would have had the patience to work with all these people. And that's what our Lord wants all of us to do that are Christians. Like, we're all called to that. It's not just for, like, priests and nuns. It's for everybody to be called to that. Like, charity is the fruitfulness of the love that we've received from our Lord. It's simply loving others with the love that we first received from our Lord. And so, like, the wellspring of motherhood is, like, the mercy we receive in daughterhood. And whenever somebody comes to me and they're like, how do I love my kids more? I say, well, you have to learn to be loved by God more first. Like, it's not what you do, it's what you let be done to you. And then it'll overflow. And we can find ourselves like giving of ourselves to others. And in the midst of that giving, we're encountering our Lord as he fills us in the moment. Like that's what holiness looks like. In the soul of the apostolate, which is a spiritual classic, it says our apostolic work is the overflow of grace. It's not that we give and then we empty out and then we have to go back and pray and so we can fill up and then we give and we empty out and we go back and pray so we can fill up. We treat the tabernacle like a gas station. You know, when we do that, we're more likely to run out of gas someday. You know, motherhood's the overflow of daughterhood. And in that experience of motherhood, you know, Mary is our model. And she's the one that walks with you. 
right? Not the object of perfection that shines a light on all of your faults, but she's the one that walks with you and comforts you and knows your pain and knows how hard it is. Mary is the mother of empathy. She's the mother of empathy. Now, one of the traits of motherhood that sociologists and psychologists talk about is like there's like this affirmation and presence that a mother is more attuned to the inner life of her children than a father is. And that's because bonding takes place in utero. And you can feel your child's feelings in a more attuned way. And there's something amazing about how God created us that way. That a mother is always the first refuge of her children. And we know that because we know from our practical experience that when a baby's born into the world, like you're the only one that can soothe your baby. Because their brain gets tuned to your body in utero. When I go visit my niece, she like arches her back when I hold her and she kicks me in the face and she cries and she does all this craziness. And then I just like put her in contact with her mom's body and like, everything's good. And so when we pray Psalm 71 and you, O Lord, I take refuge, like there's a maternal quality in God in that statement that like, this is my place of safety and security and strength. And you image God in that way insofar as you're a place of safety and security and strength. And you come to know something of what it means for God to be merciful. Like a mother always loves her child no matter where he is. You know, a father sort of is called to enter into that relationship, introduce the child to the world. And he, re- he I think the way I say it is, he reserves his love for the completion of the child's life. It doesn't mean he doesn't love his child, but it means like mom's like, you're amazing. And dad's like, well, I mean, we can work on this and you can be better. And those qualities are both in God. God says, you're amazing and I love you where you are. And he also says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And there's a call forward and there's a call to conversion. But both of these things are needed for us. If we only had a father, we would constantly feel like we're falling short. If we only had a mother, we would never move forward. You know, we need both of those things. And Mary serves that purpose in our life because she's the one that like loves us as we are and she understands our lives. Because she's conceived without sin, she feels your feelings more than anyone. And she feels your feelings more than anyone. Now, what keeps us from having empathy? Personal sin. Like personal sin. I work with addicts all the time. Their empathy score is like zero. Like, they can't feel anybody else's feelings because the only thing they feel is like numb or frustrated. I remember when I was studying in Rome... And, like, I was stuck in my own addictive processes. Um, I remember, like, my professors talking about empathy and joy. And I was just like, I don't have joy. I don't even know what you're talking about. And as I started to experience more freedom, then I was able to experience beauty. Things were able to have an impact on my life. I remember going to St. Peter's. And I would spent the whole summer, like, in counseling. 
and I hadn't looked at a screen all summer. I hadn't watched any television, nothing. And I walked into St. Peter's, and I was like, whoa, this place is amazing. I had been in St. Peter's so many times in the last three years. Kind of like, huh? You know, the more free we are, the more we recognize beauty, the more our affect comes alive, the more empathy we have for other people, we can feel their feelings. And so because Mary has no sin, she feels your feelings perfectly. Which means she understands you as she walks with you towards our Lord and towards a life of perfection. And I think that's important to remember that she's not a standard that shines a light on your faults, but she's somebody who walks with you, beside you, knowing, knowing how you feel and helping you and supporting you in your own conversion process. And so this weekend we've talked about a lot of things and, um, Kind of the last thing I always do on retreats is, okay, so to make resolutions to move forward, right? Making resolutions to move forward and to kind of renew like who we are in Christ. And so I always incorporate the renewal of baptismal promises at the end of the retreat because that's the way that we like renew our identity. And, you know, when we do it at Easter, we're kind of like, uh... Okay, we're renewing our baptismal promises, so that's a lot shorter than the creed, so that's awesome, and we'll go, you know, quickly. And, um, and you know, there's these questions, you know, do you reject Satan? I do. Do you, all his works? I do. All his empty show? I do. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty? I do. Jesus Christ? I do. I do. You know, we say, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, I do, but we don't think about what we're saying, I do too. It's not as reflective. Like, if we think about a newly baptized adult who's decided to leave behind a life of sin and live this life with our Lord, they would make their baptismal promises. And when they're asked, do you reject Satan? They would think about all of the sin in their life that they've ever committed and say, yes, I say no to that. Do you reject all his works? And they might think about all the ways they've been affected by the sins of others. Right? Because sometimes we carry the suffering that's the effect of another sin. And they would say, yes, I reject that. I don't want that to have power over me anymore. And all those empty promises, do I reject all the lies I believe about myself because of my personal sin or the sins of others? And they say, yes, I reject that. So I'm going to say no to all of those things that have gotten stirred up on this retreat, that have gotten stirred up in my life, that are getting stirred up by like the cultural atmosphere that we live in. And I say no to all those things so that I can say yes to our Lord and let him fill that space in my heart. So then when we're asked, do you believe in God? Which means, do you trust in him? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you trust in him? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church? Do you trust in And so this sort of last thing I'd ask you to reflect on or invite you to reflect on is to just kind of go through those questions and make a list. You can even write them out. Every year at Easter now, I write it out. 
and I carry it in my pocket so I know what I'm renewing. So do you reject Satan, like all the sin in your life that you really are resolved to root out of your life? Selfishness, spiritual pride, envy, jealousy, self-hatred. And all of his works, like all of the ways in which you've been sinned against that have an impact on your life. Somebody who's violated your own boundaries, the boundaries of your children. Distant parents, abusive parents or church leaders, either like verbally, spiritually, emotionally, in addition to sexually. And I renounce all of these things and the effect that they have on our life. And all his empty show or all his empty promises, what are all the lies I renounce about myself? And that's where those things like, I'm responsible for everybody else's problems. I'm unworthy of love. I'm unworthy of happiness. Jesus has time for everybody else, but he really doesn't have time for me. Other people's problems are more severe than mine, so I don't need to ask him for help. Right? That's my favorite excuse for why people don't call me for help is, Father, you're so busy, and everybody else's problems are just so bad, and mine just aren't. I'm like, you matter. <laughs> like, you matter. It's not like, you matter. That's like saying, I don't matter. There are people in the world who have worse problems than I have. But I still matter. There are people who have less problems than I have. I don't look at them and say, well, let me tell you how bad my life is. Because their problems matter. So all of those lies. And then before Mass... Um, or at the place of the creed, I have to look at the ritual. We'll just formally do that renewal of baptismal promises. Right? To firmly root ourselves in our Lord as we move forward. You know, like it's the way, it's actually you know, the most proper way of doing deliverance ministry is to just renew your baptismal promises. And... Um, I'll just pray that our Lord keeps us, you know, and holds us, and that we can abide in him as we move forward. Um, A couple of uh, housekeeping notes as I close out this conference. Um, The book we've been listening to is called The Mindful Catholic by Greg Bataro. So if... If you found that to be helpful for you or it's something that you're interested in like reading yourself or going deeper, again, I just like to expose people to things that I think are really helpful and practical. Um, you can find that on Amazon. Right? It's in audiobook, it's on Kindle, and it's in like its written form. So it's called The Mindful Catholic um, by Dr. Greg Bataro. Um, I'm trying to think of anything else. If you want to go deeper, if you know, anything I've said has been helpful or you want to learn more about the church's teaching about love and relationality, um, 
like I have a 12 week theology, of the body class on YouTube. You just go, like, go to YouTube and type in my name and there's like 12 weeks of an hour and a half class that I gave in Dawson hall. It's super boring to watch because it's just like a camera on me. Um, and, uh, but it's there, you know, and sometimes people find it helpful just to listen to, um, there's a podcast with like all of my homilies on SoundCloud or the iTunes store. You can also find that. Um, and there's also a theology, of the body class on my podcast and some other talks that I've given. Um, so those are some other resources if, uh, if you feel called to go deeper and, um, and if anything's been stirred up where, like, you think, oh, I've been trying to avoid going to counseling, but maybe I should actually go to counseling, uh, I'm really good at referring people. So if, if, if anything's been stirred up and you're not really sure, um, sometimes we need both spiritual and human help. All right, both spiritual and human help. My, when people are going through really difficult times, I usually recommend, like, you get a counselor, a spiritual director, and you find some kind of a support group. Right, a support group like a bunch of people that are like you and that can say like, oh, I'm going through the same thing. I understand your pain. You know, lots of people like I kind of consider like Al-Anon meetings as part of their conversion process, right? Which are adult children of alcoholics, like for people who are chronic rescuers and all the things I talk about. <laughs> um, going to Al-Anon helped me a lot. Just because it was a group of people where I felt like completely accepted and they understood my life. You know, when I was going through all my family stuff, I would sit around with my priest friends and I'd say something like, yeah, every time my stepmom calls and her name shows up on caller ID, I feel like all the energy just got drained out of my soul. And some of you are laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then my priest friends would look at me and they'd say, how could you say that about your parents? Fourth commandment violation, and they throw the flag on me for fourth commandment violation. So eventually I started going to Al-Anon meetings or, you know, family members of alcoholics meetings, and I'm sitting in this room. It's me and, like, 30 women. And I'm like, ah, I'm the only dude here, and I'm a priest. What the heck am I doing? And I, so that was my share. My share was sometimes my mom calls and I see her name and my energy just gets sucked out of my body because I'm going to feel like I have to save everybody. And everybody laughed. And they laughed in a way that was like, we get you. And then I kind of sat back in my chair and I was like, oh, these are my people. You know, and it's a shame that I felt more acceptance in this 12-step meeting than I do with my brother priests. Um, but, like, I needed that to help foster my own conversion. You know, and a lot of times, like, we just need places like that. My, my dream is that our church communities become more like that, where people are just open and they're able to share their lives with each other and they're not afraid of ramifications and they're not afraid of judgment. You know, like, 12-step meetings are just, like, discipleship groups where everybody tells the truth. You know, they're just like discipleship groups where nobody lies and says, everything's great. You know, and I'm hoping in the renewal that's going on in the church right now, we all learn to be more honest and open and transparent about our lives and just walk with each other in our pain and like come to know our, come to know how our Lord entered into the world to heal everything. 
when we're honest about that, the gospel readings become real. It becomes real. Like every day I see people whose eyes are opened, who have freedom to love, who like change their lives, who are free to love their children, who are active in their parenting because they've allowed our Lord to set them free to love. You know, and that has to be the core of everything that we do in our faith life. Otherwise, we're just like wasting our time. You know, if it's not about our own conversion, we're wasting our time. Pope Benedict says, like, if it's not about our own conversion, the church is just like a nonprofit organization that helps people. And so let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and ask your blessing upon these, your daughters. Just continue to move in their hearts to reveal yourself to them in a way that they can understand. To reveal yourself as the Lord of their histories, who has been walking with them and calling them to surrender their lives to you in trust. Reveal yourself as their trustworthy Father. We ask you to make fruitful in their lives the preaching of your gospel their encounter with you in prayer and the grace they receive in the sacraments that they also may experience your love in their natural and spiritual motherhood to be an image of your love and mercy and acceptance and presence to those who are in most need of your mercy. And through the intercession of the Blessed Virgin Mary, St. Joseph, and all the saints, may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.